Are you cruising through life not always knowing what direction you were headed? Let Live On Purpose with Dr. Paul Jenkins be your guide. Live On Purpose will give you insights into your life and show you how you can become the driver and captain of it. No more aimless wandering. By learning the principles that govern happiness and wealth, you will be able to make personal progress that you have only dreamed possible. And now, here's your host, the shrink who expands your life, Dr. Paul. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life, with another episode of Live on Purpose Radio. And I'm excited today to have some wonderful people here in the studio. I've learned of their inspiring story just recently. A couple of months ago, I think I ran into to you folks and uh, learned some things that I want to share with all of you listeners today because there's, there's a number of principles that are embedded in this story. So I'll introduce them first. This is John and Amy Simmons. Good morning. Welcome to Live on Purpose Radio. Thanks for having Thanks. us. Glad you're here. And John, you you took on quite a big project recently. Yeah, yeah. It just kept getting bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you've written a book. This is something that a lot of people think they might do at some point, myself included. Uh, you actually did it. Yeah. And that's probably a story in and of itself, isn't it? Yeah, it's one of those for better or worse stories, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, the title of this book is The Marvelous Journey Home. And this is a story that's based on some real events that happened to your family. Right. And uh, the event specific, well, I'll let you share it. What's this story about and how did it get started? Well, it, it wasn't about, you know, I want to write a book. Right. Um. In, as we had some experiences in adopting a couple of our daughters from Russia, um, I learned some things that that changed my life. And as you're going through an adoption like this, everything is just so monumental and so huge that your life is kind of blown up on a great big screen and you're able to see it with a lot more detail and understand it a lot better. And as I came to understand some principles that I had thought I understood before, mm-hmm. Because of what we went through with the adoption, I thought, man, there's a, there's a metaphor for life here. There's there's things that people can understand by looking at our story. And I wanted people to understand that. In fact, when I wrote the book, and as it came out, people asked me if I'd write another one. And I said, I don't know. I, I won't write a book just to write a book. If I have something right. more to say, I will. If I have something more to share, I will. If I don't, I won't. I This mm-hmm. isn't... This isn't about being a writer or a novelist for the rest of my life. It's about some things I learned. That's an interesting point, too, because you didn't set out to be a novelist. You didn't set out to be a published author. You learned some things that you felt were important to share. That's correct. And that you wanted to preserve in an important way. Yeah, I didn't quit my day job. You know, I don't <laughs> I don't hope to compete against the great authors in the world right now. Mm-hmm but I wanted to share some things that we had learned in our family. Right. So let's talk about this story that, that inspired the book uh, and that created some phenomenal experiences for you and your family. You said that you adopted some kids from right. Russia. Right. Amy and I had three biological sons 
when we could no longer have children. And uh, a couple of years after the third one was born, uh, we started looking into adoption. We wanted to have some girls in our family. And as we looked into it and filled out the paperwork, uh, the big thing was that we got a girl. Um, we were interested in any type of uh, situation, even up to and including uh, mental and physical handicaps. And one day the, the adoption agency called up Amy and said, we have a one-month-old baby boy with Down syndrome. Do you want him or not? Uh-huh. And Amy couldn't say no, so we adopted Jack. It wasn't a girl. It wasn't a girl. But you took him. <laughs> and uh, we brought Jack into the family. He had some severe heart defects. He had open-heart surgery at six months, oh, and wow. we, we almost lost him. Um, finally, he got better, and he, just, he hasn't slowed down since. Mm-hmm. But he was a mm-hmm. lot of work, and so we kind of put expanding our family on hold till we felt like we had Jack under control. And about the time he was eight, we felt like he could handle us being away and all of the different things that would be involved in an adoption. We'd learned enough in the, the adoption with Jack where we decided we wanted to go international to get mm-hmm. our girls. And so when Jack was about eight and a half, we really started working on it. And Jack was 10 when we finally got two new little girls and a little boy home from Far East Russia. Mm-hmm. Now this, and this is kind of where the story picks up for the book. Right. Uh, but this, there was a lot of stuff going on with your family before all of this happened, uh, with bringing Jack home, having that kind of an experience. And then you still wanted to, to bring these daughters home. Right. I got a sense, and as I've talked with you personally, but also as I've read the book, I got a sense that you just felt like there were some kids that belonged to your family. You just hadn't found them yet. Yes, to a certain extent, but it, it was a little bit different than that. We, uh, It was a selfish thing. We wanted girls. I wanted my little princesses. <laughs> and, and I could afford them, so I went and got them. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it was a totally and completely selfish act. This wasn't about save the world. It wasn't about poor little kids in Russian orphanages. It was about we felt like... Let's get our daughters. That's exactly right. Now, Amy might tell you something different, but that's exactly how I felt. Well, Amy, you have a mic. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Give us some of your thoughts about this, uh, about how this story started. You know, um, like John said, we after we had our three sons, I wasn't able to have children. I had difficult pregnancies that continued to get worse, and and uh, we brought Jack home. And I felt very strongly that there was a little girl waiting for us somewhere. And so I, you know, I, I worked um, a lot with uh, the thought of bringing Jack home to make sure that we weren't, you know, giving up someone else's place in our family. And it was it was really interesting. We had a lot of fun things happen in bringing him home that we knew that he was supposed to be part of our family. And as we continued to work towards bringing our girls home, um, it we were I'm having a hard time here. Yeah. <laughs> what was your question again? I got sidetracked. <laughs> You're multitasking, aren't you? Oh, yes. <laughs> She's still doing the laundry in her mind. <laughs> well, you know, I'm just thinking about this whole, and you've, you've talked with me about this too, Amy, mm-hmm. about how, uh, how this all started for you. But this, this idea of, 
of just opening your hearts and your home to these little girls who had a very different start in life. And, you know, and maybe I'm getting distracted, too, because I'm going off on where were they while you guys were going through all of your process? They they were in orphanages in Far East Russia. And in in fact, orphanages. In orphanages. In, in Russia. In different orphanages. And these kids had a very difficult start. Yes, they did. To their family, as many kids in orphanages do. Uh, sometimes it includes yeah. abuse and and neglect and mistreatment. The Our, the vast majority of these kids who are in Russian orphanages who are available for adoption have been taken away from their parents because of abuse or severe neglect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our mm-hmm. Sarah um, had been burned severely. She um, her birth father tripped over her with a pot of soup. And it um, mm. caused burns down her neck and down her chest and along her stomach. And um, the parents did not seek medical attention for her. And finally, a neighbor contacted uh, social services who came and uh, rescued her and mm-hmm. took her to the hospital. The burn had already started to heal, but it was full of infection. And mm-hmm. in fact, at the time that they, they took Sarah from the orphanage, they did not know that her sister was even there at home the mother had hit her so that social services wouldn't take her and the social worker went back and found her and also removed her from the home Mm -hmm. and so for a period of about three months is is the best that we can figure they spent some time together in the first orphanage which was a baby hospital where sarah was treated and healed from her burns but when she Mm. healed enough because of her age she was moved to a different orphanage And she had a little sister, too, mm-hmm. who was placed in a different place. Is that right? Right. 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 Sarah would have been about four at the time, and Celeste would have been a year and a half old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So not only did they have this difficult experience that included some very painful experiences early on, but then when they were rescued by the state, uh, they were separated as well. Mm-hmm. So these kids had been through a lot by the time you even came on the scene. Yes. You know, it's really interesting because as, as you bring your children home, um, you know, a lot of people ask us, do you feel the same about your adoptive children as you do your natural children? And, you know, mm. as as the children fall into your arms, whether they're newborn or, you know, our some were five, some were three. We had a two-year-old. We had a 15-year-old. We had a 14-year-old. The feelings for them are exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, that for us was not a challenge, but helping piece together the history that they had had before with a, a language barrier and the difficulties that they had, that definitely was a challenge. Well, you know, we, we talked a little bit before we started the show today that there's a whole bunch of different stories and a bunch of different directions we can go with this. And um, I think what I would really like the listeners to just consider and understand, there's such a wealth of experience that's available to you, to anyone really. And as you choose your path in life, different things come into your way that, uh, that can really bless your life and teach you some important things. Absolutely. And you guys learn some stuff. Just a little. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I think we've got a break coming up here in just a minute or so, but start to walk us through the, 
the process that you went through as you um, as you brought these little girls and a little boy too. I, I sometimes forget to mention him because he wasn't really included right. in the book. Right. Um, the process that the family went through. You had some older boys. How did they feel about all of this? You know, they were excited to have their sisters come home. We, you know, had the social workers coming in to do all of the reports and the different things that you had before, and and uh, they asked them, you know, how they felt about their adoptive siblings, mm-hmm. and uh, and this was actually when we were bringing the older girls home, and they went through the feelings of the other ones, and they said, well, what about Jack? And they said, oh, we forgot Jack was adopted, mm-hmm. and so you know, they were very much included in the decisions of expanding our family. Um, had any one of them said, no, we don't want to do this. It wouldn't have mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. And so we were very forward with them, um, with the changes that would come with our family. But they were excited to have little sisters. Mm-hmm. The whole family was involved in this whole process. Yes. Well, we've got some fun things that, uh, that we're going to share with you as we come back from this first break. So stick with us. Raising kids is one of the most challenging and rewarding experiences we can have in life. Your children didn't come with an owner's manual, so it's up to you to learn whatever will assist you in your role as a mom or a dad. Join me and my husband, Dr. Paul, for a free weekly discussion about all of the hot topics in parenting. Listen to what others are saying about these calls. By applying the things I've learned to the parental power calls, I'm finally becoming the mom I always thought I would be. I really like to use parental power as kind of like a reference book. So as I have concerns with my parenting, I like to be able to look up on the blog and then listen to whatever podcast seems closely related. I like the variety of of topics, the variety of age groups that are addressed. I'm on the parental power calls as often as I possibly can because I know I'm going to come away with something I can apply to being a parent that very day. Let us join your parenting team through parental power. Just send an email to drpaul at liveonpurposeradio.com to register for the live calls. Or just check us out first through the link at drpaul.org. All of the previous calls are posted on our blog site, where you can also add your own input. Let's team up to start parenting on purpose. This is Kirk Weasler to tell you about morebetterbooks.com. Morebetterbooks.com is where you can find more better books for a more better life. Not only that, let me tell you about some of the very fun and cool select titles on morebetterbooks.com. You'll want to get a copy of The Dog Poop Initiative. This best-smelling book could change your life forever. It certainly changed the lives of thousands of Boeing employees, as well as school teachers, parents, leaders across the United States and in Israel and in Germany. And you can get your own copy at morebetterbooks.com. Whoa, that's not all. What about The Cookie Thief? This classic tale told in a rhyming format, fully illustrated with very fun hidden messages. Pick up a copy now today on morebetterbooks.com. Other great titles there, Finding Your Pathway to Mastery, Beyond Illusions, Make It Great, These titles are only available on morebetterbooks.com. Go to morebetterbooks.com today and begin to have a more better life and live that life on purpose.
think we've set a good context for where we can go next with this conversation. And some of you listeners may be thinking, wow, this is, this is a little different for Live On Purpose Radio. But think about where these little girls were. And it's not just the two of them because you've got, you've got a son from over there and another right. daughter too, right? Actually, um, we have four girls from Russia who are biological siblings. We adopted oh, the, okay. the first two along with a non-related little boy on the first move. And then when we found out that there were still other siblings, we went back and started to move on finding the teenagers. And finding the older girls. Yeah. And we, so there were two okay. sets of Russian adoptions that involved three, uh, three in the first and two in the second. You were sharing something just during the break with me about about the five-year-old. Right. And uh, her her American name is Sarah. Right. And she was at an age where she... Uh, she understood a lot of what was going on. Very much so. In, in fact, as I started to write the book, I had to write Celestian later in the book because of some things that happened with her and some things that I learned. But this started off as Sarah's story, and I had mm-hmm. no intention of including either of the other two kids when I started. Mm-hmm. Well, so so picture this little girl, folks, who's, who's five years old. She's living in a a country that has had an interesting history, to say the least. Right. Uh, and they, some things had changed by the time you, you went over there. It, it wasn't the former, you know, solid communist country that Nobody beat that us up was. and made us stand in line when we went over there. You know, it was a little different. Than you could go, after all. <laughs> right. And leave again. Right. <laughs> Although... I understand there were some adventures with that, too. <laughs> yeah. That was debatable at one point on whether we'd get out of the country. Um, so here's this little girl, and this is her environment. She has never seen America. She had never seen the home that would eventually become hers. But she had a dream and a hope that someday she would be able to live this fairy tale. And that's exactly what it was to her. I mean... These kids live in a Russian orphanage, but they watch their friends leave, and they watch their friends be adopted. And probably 80% of the adoptions were going to the States. Mm. And so when these kids talk about being adopted, usually they talk about being adopted and going to America. They know it's always America, mm-hmm. you know. And to me, America is not America. America is utopia. It's this dream place. It's this fairy tale land. That's right. That these kids talk about going to and they're just as happy if they're adopted and stay in russia or if they go to another place in europe which happens quite often but this idea in their head is this this fairy tale that they'll live in being adopted and mm-hmm. having families again mm-hmm. when you think about the belief of a young child and even in circumstances like that children have this this kind of innate sense that things can and will be better. Yeah, they ha- they have a real agility at that age to adapt. And no matter how bad anything gets, there's a certain period of time before we learn to be cynical as human beings. Yeah. There's a certain amount of time when we continue to hope for the best and believe that the best can happen and work towards those things. And then there comes an age when we start to learn how to be cynical and pessimistic. But Sarah mm. wasn't there yet. And we start to doubt. You know, I was thinking about this just the other day. My daughter, who is 12, is really a very good artist. 
And if you go into any kindergarten class and you ask, how many of you guys are artists? Every hand goes up, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're happy to claim that. Right. And see it and dream it and be it and believe it. And then as we get older, we start to let go of some of those dreams. Right. And it just impressed me as we were having this conversation. Here's this little girl who has these dreams and the fairy tale and becoming a princess and going to America, you know, and and that happened for her. It did. Sarah, um, we took her out of the orphanage and took her back to the hotel. And this is after two. Well, it's on our second visit to Russia. They required at the time we were requiring two visits before you can finalize an adoption. Mm-hmm. And so we'd spent a lot of time with her and her friends and uh, that level of trust was there. But I mean, you still have this huge communication problem. Mm. And we took her back to the hotel on the very first night. We knelt down for family prayers, and it surprised me that Sarah knew what was going on. And as Amy would say a few words in English, Sarah would do her best to mimic the words that Amy was saying, having no idea what those words meant. And as Amy closed the prayer, Sarah said, Nyet, no, in Russian. And she continued on with her own prayer for another two or three minutes. Mm. And we noticed her saying mama and papa and we thought that was so sweet that she was praying for us and this continued on for the next few days as we'd do prayers at night and sarah would after amy was finished or i was finished she would she would continue on Mm -hmm. and we started recognize uh, quite early we recognized that she was talking about her two best friends eula and marina and who were still in the orphanage that is correct there was also one more word that kept coming up in her prayers. Yeah, it was semya. And it, she said it so often that we got out our Russian to English dictionary and we looked it up and it was family. And all of a sudden, we realized that Sarah wasn't praying for us. Mm-hmm. She was praying for parents and families for her two best friends. Yeah. She believed that the fairy tale was possible for them too. Yeah. Yes. Now, in Russian adoptions, or adopting kids out of Russia, most people in this, Russians will only adopt babies in almost all circumstances. Um, Europeans and Americans will take children older, but typically they want them, you know, under five or five, because Mm -hmm. they want a year to get the language under control before you put them in school. And Mm -hmm. they might adopt a five-year-old and hold them back a year in school and get the language under control. Mm Mm-hmm. But once a Russian orphan turns five years old, their chances of being adopted decrease monthly. And it's just a a curve that falls off incredibly. Mm -hmm. And where Eula and, well, Sarah was five and a half. Eula and Marina were about a year older than her, and I just knew it wouldn't happen. But here Sarah's just praying for these kids. And as we brought her home from Russia, we we would uh, talk with her, and she would talk about her friends. And... She'd sneak off and pray for these friends four and five times a day Mm. that they could be adopted and that they could have families. And I just knew it wasn't going to happen. But you can't break the kid's heart. And you let her pray and you say, at some point, she's going to have to learn to deal with reality, that this might not happen. And there was an incredible experience. Six months later, we'd learned that there were other siblings uh, to our daughters in Russia. And we'd Mm -hmm. started looking at the possibility of trying to find them and perhaps bring them home. And six months after we got Sarah and Celeste home, I had a trade show in Tokyo. 
And Vladivostok, Russia is just across the pond from there. And so I told mm-hmm. Amy that I was going to have our coordinators work on finding these girls, these older siblings, and uh, see if we could possibly start moving on adopting them. And so when I flew over, uh, Sarah demanded that I go visit her friends and that I take presents to her friends from her. Mm-hmm. And so we went to the, the store and she picked out a couple of stuffed animals. So we wrapped them up and put them in the suitcase. And the last thing before I left, she had to check the luggage to make sure to that make those, sure you had those a... presents were there. Mm-hmm. And I flew over, and after I had met with the two older girls, we found them in two separate orphanages. Of these four biological sisters, they were in four separate orphanages. Mm-hmm. And after I had found them and met them, I went to visit these two little... Well, I was planning on going to visit these two little girls, but I needed a a letter from the social worker to be allowed into the orphanage. Mm-hmm. So we went back to the social worker who helped us with Sarah. And she asked if Sarah rem- remembered our two friends. And I said, yes, unfortunately, she does. And she thought that was a strange comment. She said, why would you say something like that? Unfortunately, she remembers her friends. And I said, well, Sarah goes off and prays for these friends that they'll have families four and five times a day. Mm-hmm. And she just doesn't realize that it can't happen. It won't happen. And the social worker smiled <laughs> and she said, you go home and tell Sarah that God listens to her. Marina was adopted by a Russian family a month ago. Wow. And I went back home that night. I, well, I, I went and visited Eula. I gave her both of the presents. She was so excited to see me. And as we went through the, the photo album that I brought of Sarah, Eula was so excited to see the pictures. And she'd skip right over the pictures of Sarah riding our horses or sitting in my red Corvette. And she would pause at the ones with the family. Mm-hmm. And she would mm-hmm. tell me how Marina was adopted now, too. And that she had a family. Mm-hmm. And she asked if Sarah was happy. And if she loved her family, and if they loved her, and all of these material things, and all of this princess story that these kids dream of living, were set aside as Eula focused on these two friends who had families, understanding that she still didn't. Mm-hmm. And that was tough as I as I left that Russian orphanage, knowing that mm. two out of three had lived the dream, and knowing that. That was against all odds. Mm -hmm. But completely believing and knowing that that would never happen for Eula. I went back and called Sarah and told her what was going on, and she was so excited she couldn't stand it. And a couple of days later, I called to check in again, and Amy told me, it's interesting. Sarah has only mentioned Marina in one prayer since you called. And that was to thank her Heavenly Father for giving Eula, or for giving Marina, Marina. a family. Mm-hmm. She said, but now she's disappearing 10 and 12 times a day to pray for Eula. She knows that prayer works, and she knows that it's happened. And now it has to happen for Marina. Mm. And as I got home, I watched this girl obsessed with a third friend and everything that she thought that she needed to do to make sure that the dream happened for Marina as well. Mm-hmm. For you, I'm sorry. Thank you for, for Eula, Eula as well. This, 
we're going to follow up on this as we come back from this next break. But, you know, the thing that is so prevalent in my mind right now as you're sharing this story, John, you are sure that this wasn't even possible. I'm an engineer. You crunch numbers, and you know what happens before you, you do it. You do the math, and you know it. You were looking at the statistics and the math, and it just didn't add up. That's absolutely right. I knew the outcome. I crunched the numbers. But this little girl had the faith and the belief that this was possible not only for her, but for those those dear friends of hers. That's exactly right. And I think there's a little more to this story that we haven't heard yet. Just a little. Okay. We'll be right back. And when you pray, pray for strength to help you carry on when the troubles come your way. I've got a great idea. This is Shay Larson, IdeaOrbit.com, with the World of Ideas Report. Get out the wipes because this could get messy, or maybe not. Would you ever believe that you could use diapers as your next million dollar idea? That is exactly what Charlotte Folks did after being fired from her job. She decided to turn an old interesting hobby into a successful business. She called her product Baby Cakes. What exactly is a baby cake? Charlotte Fox began designing the most elaborate and interesting gift baskets made out of real diapers. She places all kinds of baby gifts in the baskets and turns them into works of art. Charlotte heard often, as many people do, you should sell those. Instead of taking the normal route, she decided to do just that. Baby Cakes is now an international phenomenon. Charlotte's company has grown significantly. She now employs baby cake makers to help with the growth of her enterprise. If you are looking for an idea, it might be just under your nose, even if you have to pinch your nose to look at it. At least that was the case for Charlotte folks and Baby Cakes. This is Shay Larson, IdeaOrbit.com, with the World of Ideas Report. Idea. Wouldn't you like to know? You probably can't bear it, so I guess I'll have to share it. I thought of it a moment. In a time of drastic change, it is the learners who inherit the future. The learned usually find themselves equipped to live in a world that no longer exists. Eric Hoffer. Definitely more of this story that we're going to hear. There's a principle here that I think is really important to emphasize before we move on. When you were telling this, John, I I had a sense that you really didn't want to, to reinforce any kind of false hope in your daughter. Right. That her friends might be able to have the fairy tale too. Right. And it occurred to me that there's a difference between false hope and false despair. Yeah. And who was wrong after all? (laughs) You know, I I was dreadfully wrong. You know, I'm an engineer. My plane fell out of the sky. (laughs) Uh huh. She was right and I was wrong. False beliefs versus false doubts. Right. 
And it's so easy for us, I think, to just go that the downhill route, you know, the default course, which is to doubt instead of believe or to despair instead of to hope. And, you know, even when it's the most likely thing that will happen, as wrong as I was, most stories don't go like ours did. Mm -hmm. Numbers point another direction. Sure. Well, Odds point another direction. And I, we remember visiting with the children. We, we had the opportunity to, to spend a lot of time with Sarah's group and get to know all of her friends that were there, about 24 children. And as we would walk in, they would swarm around our coordinator, and he would talk with each one of them before they ran off. And John says, what are, what are you talking about? What are they asking you? And he says, they all ask me the same question. Are you, have you found my parents yet? He says, your Sarah used mm. to come and talk to me too. And mm-hmm. he says, you know, John says, what do you tell him? He says, we tell him the same thing. We, you know, we're looking, but we haven't found them yet. He says, but the saddest thing is when they turn about six or seven, they don't come and ask anymore. Mm-mm. And that's because of what you're saying. The numbers just don't support it. Right. They, they see that they're with older kids now and that none of these kids are being adopted, yet the younger ones keep going. And... And mm-hmm. eventually they just stop asking. They don't want the pain mm-hmm. any, anymore. Yeah. And right. sweet Eula, I mean, she was in that age group. And she had um, difficulties with her eyes. And so she had a medical condition that also kind of puts a strike Made against it less her. less likely yeah. for an adoption. So pick up the story where we left it. Well, I got home from Russia. And uh, I, I was kind of uh, frustrated Watching Sarah and just this, uh, running off and praying 10 and 12 times a day and asking me if I knew anything. And when I thought Eula would be adopted, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to get through Christmas. I'm going to get through the holidays. And then Sarah and I are going to have a talk. Um, lightning doesn't strike twice in the same place. Everybody knows that. Crunch the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> you are an engineer, aren't you? <laughs> and so it, it was Christmas Eve. And Sarah said, Papa, I need to see Santa Claus. And uh, I was really curious as to what she was going to ask for. And I quizzed her, and and she wouldn't tell me. And so we got in the car, and I kept trying to get it out of her as we went to the mall, and she wouldn't tell me. And we got to the mall on Christmas Eve, and there was no line. Santa was sitting there all by himself. And I walked up, and I gave him a little bit of history that Sarah had been home from Russia for six months, that this was her first visit with him. And uh, so with, with that much warning, he put her up on his lap. And before Santa could say anything, Sarah said, Santa Claus, why you never come to see me when I live in Russia? Ah, he called him on the carpet. Oh, boy. <laughs> Santa looked at me like why I didn't warn him that was coming, and I didn't know either. And He's got to defend himself. I, I, yeah, I was, I was dumbfounded. I didn't know what to do to help. And then I started thinking my mind went into... Rapid mode, and I thought, okay, okay, uh, lost my passport, couldn't get a visa, shot down over North Korea. I, <laughs> you yeah. know, I knew where he could go, right. but Santa didn't know where to go. And finally, he decided that honesty was the best policy. Mm-hmm. And he said, Sarah, I'm sorry that I never came to see you when you were in Russia, but I'll bring mm-hmm. presents to your house this year. Would that make you happy? She said, Yes. He said, so Sarah, what do you want for Christmas? Why did you come to talk to me? She says, I want you to take presents to my friends in Russia. Mm-hmm. And Santa Claus started to cry. 
Mm-hmm. And then it got worse. What Sarah really wanted was Santa Claus to take parents to Eula. Specifically. All that Santa Claus could do between gasps for air as he cried was tell her he would see what he could do. Mm-hmm. And we went away, and this continues. Wow. Uh, Sarah's still praying for Eula 10 and 12 times a day. And we got into February, and I was watching TV, and Sarah came and sat next to me and snuggled up next to me. And finally she says, Papa, I miss Eula. When I will see Eula again? And I said, Sarah, that's enough. I said, I hope that Eula gets adopted too. But lots of kids in Russia don't get adopted. But if she ever is adopted, Sarah, you will not see Eula again. It's against the law. Russia doesn't let people tell other people where children go when they are adopted. So even if she is adopted, we won't know where she is. Mm -hmm. I said, but you knew that, Sarah, when you left the orphanage. You made a good choice to have a family and to come here and, and to have a new life. But you knew you wouldn't see Eula again. And she said, no, Papa. Me and Eula made promise. We promise when we are adopted and we come to America, we will still be friends. Mm. And that was heartbreaking, but it didn't change what was going to play out. The way you understood it. Well, I'm right. I'm an engineer. I crunched the numbers. That's right. (laughs) When in doubt, Amy, John's right. Yeah. (laughs) She figured that out a long time ago. Amy and I went back in June for the first official visit with our older girls to begin the adoption there. And after we'd gone for our first visit with them and Amy had met the two older girls for the first time, we went back to visit Marina which is also the name of the social worker who helped us with Sarah's adoption. And we asked her if she would give us a letter so that we could go visit Eula and take a present from Sarah. And she said yes. And she got a sparkle in her eye, knowing the whole story behind Mm -hmm. Sarah and and what had happened. And she said, Eula has a surprise for you when you go to see her. And I said, really? What's that? And she said, I should really let Eula tell you. She said, but I can't. Knowing this story, I have to tell you. She said, Eula has had parents come and visit her from Spain, and she's in the middle of her own adoption. And by the time you come back for your next visit with your older girls, she'll be long gone. So enjoy your visit with Eula. It will be the last. (laughs) And I was so happy for Eula, and I was so excited. And we went and saw her, and she was so excited to show us pictures of her new mama, her new papa, and tell us that she's going to a place called Spain. And it's a long ways away Mm -hmm. from America and from Russia where Marina is. I mean, you you couldn't put a lot more distance between these three separate girls than is there. That's right. But she was excited. She showed us the pictures, and and we visited with her, and we gave her the, the present that Sarah had sent. And as I left that orphanage, I was I was really torn up, knowing that I would never see these other two girls again. And these two 
little girls along with my daughter, Sarah, had taught me things about faith that I hadn't learned mm-hmm. in a whole life growing up, hearing all the Sunday school lessons and and mm-hmm. being taught by loving parents and, and thinking that I understood those things. And, and now mm-hmm. knowing that this part of my life was closing, that that I'd learned the lesson that I was supposed to learn mm-hmm. and that that part of my life would be over. And that was tough. It was a very bittersweet moment. Mm-hmm. It was. Learning some choice lessons. Well, you know, um, we went back home and uh, we were supposed to be back in in two months, but two months turned into three and into four and still we hadn't been invited back. And finally, we were invited back just after four months. And the second day we were in Russia, we were sitting in the restaurant of the hotel. And our adoption coordinator came running in. And she said, John, I just ran into the coordinator who handled Eula's adoption. I said, oh, that's great. How's Eula doing? She said, I'm sure she's fine. But that's not the point. She isn't gone yet. She's in court today with her parents. If we hurry to the courthouse right now, we can meet them coming out of the courthouse and we jumped in the car and we rushed over and 15 minutes after we got there the the door opens and these two Spanish parents walk out and their little girl breaks from them and runs to us and throws her arms around me and oh you should have seen their faces (laughs) (laughs) the Spanish parents the Spanish parents here she breaks from them and wraps her arms around this strange American right (laughs) and so we told them the story and how Sarah had prayed for this to happen. And we watched the, we cried with these two Spanish parents as they heard the story that had happened and how these three little girls had been adopted. Mm-hmm. They were an answer to Sarah's prayer. Mm-hmm. And we exchanged contact information with them. And Sarah still writes letters and sends presents back and forth mm-hmm. with Eula. She knows where Eula is. And I thought, what are the odds? Laws were broken. Uh, what are the uh, odds? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, they crunch the numbers again. It doesn't happen. But here, these two little girls made a promise that they would stay friends after they were adopted. I've, and it happened. Mm-hmm. I love what Marina said because, you know, our thoughts were, you know, I, I thought this was impossible. And, and John actually said that to her. And she says, well... Maybe almost impossible. And that was Marina, the social worker. Marina, the social worker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The most inspiring stuff in life beats the odds. And I think that's why it's inspiring. That's right. It it shows us that we can beat the odds. It -hmm. shows us, okay, crunch the numbers so you know how hard you have to work to make it happen. But when Mm -hmm. the numbers come out and say your odds are one in 100,000, it just means you have to work that much harder. If you're going to be the one. You know, Sarah was praying 10 and 12 times a day. She mm-hmm. knew that she was going to do everything in her power to make sure that it happened. There's a part of maybe the, the grown-up mind that says at some point you just give up. But this little child didn't have that perspective. No. No, she had to Hers was, if I got to pray 12 times a day, that's what I'm going to do. And had you told her it had to be 20, she'd have been there. That's right. 
<laughs> We've got one more segment coming up. We'll be right back. If the pile of books you want to read is growing faster than the pile you have read, then Abundant Reading Systems can help you. After taking Abundant Reading Systems course, I dramatically increased my ability to expand my knowledge in a much more efficient way. My fastest test today was in the 7,000 words per minute. I highly recommend this program from what I've seen it do for other people who've been through the entire program and from what I've seen in myself today. I've teamed up with Abundant Reading Systems to offer a single day intensive speed reading workshop that will at least double your reading speed, guaranteed. This belief started to grow inside of me that I thought, oh, I can really do this. I can read you know, as fast as I let myself read and uh, ended up doubling my time, my speed reading time, which was really good. This is David Hinton, founder of Abundant Reading Systems. I want to personally invite you to join us for our next event. Visit AbundantReadingSystems.com now. Abundant Reading Systems, reading at the speed of imagination. Thank you for joining me for the Live on Purpose radio podcast. It is truly an honor to be a part of your prosperity team. Please visit my website, drpaul.org, to get connected with other tools for you and your family. There you will find links to my weekly e-zine, Empower, Harnessing the Power of the Mind, and to the free Parental Power Teleconference that I host every week with my wife, Vicki. You can also check out upcoming events or pick up powerful information products. Feel free to contact me directly with questions, comments, or to book me for your company or private event. Email me through drpaul at liveonpurposeradio.com. little girls just defied the odds, taught you something about faith, uh, even though you knew better. (laughs) I did. (laughs) You had some powerful experiences here, and at the crux of this whole story is the importance of family. Right. And how precious, how precious that is. And I think we take that for granted way too much. You know, as as we would meet with the girls and with all of the children, you know, they shared clothes, they shared mm-hmm. bedding. You know, the, the, Sarah showed us her locker, and the only thing that she owned was her toothbrush and a bar of soap. Those were her possessions. Mm-hmm. Everything else they shared. And, you know, they were happy t- for the most part. The only thing they realized that they didn't have was family. And that's the thing that they dreamed for and hoped for and prayed for. And they don't take it for granted even now. You know, live without a family and you don't take it for granted. And that's one thing that we have learned from, from our daughters. Um, last, last November, I was headed back for this annual trade show in Tokyo. And uh, I told Amy, there's, some, there's still some pictures that I want to get. We'd found out. Uh, the address of the the cottage where our older girls had come from. And I wanted some pictures to kind of piece together whatever we could of a history for them. 
Mm-hmm. And I said, and I want to visit with our coordinators and some of the friends that we've made in Russia over the past several years. And so after the trade show, I flew to Vladivostok again. And as I was meeting with the coordinators, Anya, the the one coordinator, said to me, you know, John, it's illegal for a social worker to tell us where children went after they were adopted. She said, but the social worker who worked with you really loves your family. And she said, I think we can try something. I think we can call her up, ask her to contact Marina's family and see if they'll contact us. Mm-hmm. And so she called the social worker. The social worker was really excited, uh, demanded that we come down and visit her. Uh, and which, she's the one that stayed in Russia. Okay, Marina's the little girl who stayed in Russia. Right. right. And okay. Marina is also, if I slip, Marina is also the name of the social worker who likes us. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, uh, the coordinator called up the social worker, told her what was going on, and she said, I'll call Marina's parents and see if they'll call you back. And she gave him our coordinator's cell phone number. And a little while later, the phone rang, and it was Marina's mother. And she said, yeah, I'd love for John to be able to visit with Marina while he's here. Uh, just take it. Here's the school that Marina goes to. Uh, just go down there. Uh, they'll pull her out of class, I'm sure, if you want them to, and she can visit with John for a few minutes. And so we went down, and they pulled Marina out of class, and she was so excited to see me, but she's still the shyest of the three little girls. I I had to ask for a hug before she gave me a hug. <laughs> and and uh, we visited, and I'd brought a small photo album for her to have of Sarah, and she went through the pages one by one and was so excited to see Sarah and how she was doing, and we visited, and after a little while, she demanded that we come to her house after school and meet her mother. Her father was out of town, and so we agreed, and after school, we went over to Marina's house, and the mother let us in, and we visited for a little while, and the mother said, you know, I always knew that Marina had two best friends at the orphanage. She told me about when Sarah's parents came from America and adopted her and took her away. And she says, and Marina thinks that Eula has probably been transferred to another orphanage because she doesn't see her at school anymore. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, Eula's been adopted. In fact, I've met her parents. She's in Spain, and I can get you all the contact information on Eula. And the mother was very excited to hear that. And uh, Marina was excited to hear that Eula had been adopted too. Mm -hmm. And the mother said, when Marina came home from school today, she opened up about these two best friends at the orphanage more than she ever had in her life. And she told me that the three little girls shared beds next to each other and that every night after lights out, that these three little girls would sit in their beds and pray and that they always prayed for two things. One was that they could all be adopted and have families. And the second thing that they prayed for was that they could remain friends after the adoptions. Mm -hmm. And I was floored. You know, these two girls weren't even supposed to get adopted. Do the math. Mm -hmm. That's right. And then when there are laws in place to stop them from knowing where each other are, all of a sudden we have the contact information for the three different girls, and they are able to have that prayer answered and remain friends. I looked at Marina, and I said, you guys prayed every night. And she said, yes. And this is all going on through translators, obviously. Mm -hmm. I said, who taught you to pray? 
And she said it was a lady at the orphanage who isn't there anymore. I don't remember her name. I said, but mm -hmm. she taught you to pray. She said, yes, yeah, she would teach anybody, but only me and Eula and Sarah listened. And, you know, I, I think about the things that we do in life, and we don't realize that we make a difference. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that this woman who grew up during communist times in Russia and who lives in a Russia where religion is still looked upon as at least a little bit silly or naive, mm -hmm. who decided that she was going to teach any of these orphans to pray who wanted to learn, and that these three little girls took the message and that they learned about faith and they learned about praying, and they held to that hope until it happened. And it breaks my heart that this woman will never realize what she accomplished. Like Marina said, she she's not there anymore. She was gone a long time ago. This woman has no idea that those children were adopted. She has mm -hmm. no idea what they prayed for, that they're still friends. I doubt she's as much of a realist or perhaps even a cynic <laughs> that I am. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure she doesn't know what she accomplished. But whether she realizes it or not, it doesn't change what she did. Mm -hmm. Which has a lot of lessons embedded right in that. You know, what, what can we do even on a small, seemingly small scale that could have huge impact? I mean, even everyone who's hearing this story now or who reads your book or who is touched in some way by the story of these little girls. It all be, be, began because of someone who took time out of her day to teach three little girls how to pray. I mean, I'm, I'm sure she looked at airplanes flying overhead and all of the important people that must be in these airplanes, people who go out and, and run businesses and uh, political leaders and all these things and all these important mm -hmm. people in the world. And I'm sure that she thought that she was no one of consequence. But if you want to know who changed the world, mm -hmm. it was an orphanage worker living in what we would consider poverty who taught three little girls how to pray. Mm -hmm. So many times, you know, we feel like we don't have enough to give or, you know, there's the problems that people have are so massive that what we have to offer isn't enough to make a difference. And I have a favorite quote um, by Mother Teresa, and it's, you know, we cannot accomplish great things we can only accomplish small things with great love mm -hmm. and that's what becomes great that's what really changes lives so when you think you don't have anything to give you've got everything to give still mm -hmm. so give it yeah what you have to offer may make up the difference for someone mm -hmm. else and i'm so grateful for this woman and what she did mm-hmm well, she's taught you some things, and you've never met her. That's exactly right. Except through your daughter. That's right. I'm sitting here thinking, wow. That's cool. That's really cool. I know there's a lot more to the story that we haven't even touched on. Um, one thing that I wanted to acknowledge, just as we kind of wrap things up here today, is that... It, it, maybe what we just talked about, when you think you don't have anything to give, you've still got a lot to give. Right. And when you don't give because you don't think you have enough, 
you're holding back way too much. Because the you little, can do. the little bit that you can give could be, could it can be change the world, world changing, right? Could be earth moving, right? As it was in this case, yes. And that's a great example. Against all odds, against a calculator, <laughs> crunch the numbers. Yeah. <laughs> Call the engineer. <laughs> so you think differently than you used to. I really do. I still crunch numbers. Sure. I still figure the odds. But I know that odds can be overcome. That's right. I don't right. know if I ever knew that before, like I know it now. Well, you were pretty darn sure that certain things wouldn't happen. Right. And then they did. Yeah. That's the inspiring part, as we talked about earlier. Let's give people a way to uh, to get connected with this book and with the things that you're doing. Where would you send them? Um, they can go to our website. It's um, okay. MarvelousJourneyHome.com. www.MarvelousJourneyHome.com. MarvelousJourneyHome.com. We're going to put that up on the website, too, so that people will have a link to get to you. Um, I imagine you're available for... Uh, speaking if people want to we do we do a lot of story we do a lot of speaking engagements Mm -hmm. we would love to be contacted they can do it through the website that's probably the easiest way. that's probably the slickest way to get to just uh go to the website uh you know contact us the email will pop up send us a quick email and we'd love to do it and then of course the book which is available, I'm sure, through the website. It is. Um, and they get that at Amazon, other places. Right, they as can't well. get it at Amazon. Uh, Barnes and Noble, Borders, all those bookstores can get it for you. Okay. Um, the book has been out for two years now, which means it's probably not on the shelf as much as it used to be, mm-hmm. but it is still available. They can order it in, or you can order it in yourself from Amazon. And online is a great way to do that. I will uh, put up a link for that as well so that people can get to the book. Again, the book is called The Marvelous Journey Home by John Simmons. That's correct. Who is our guest here today, along with his lovely wife, Amy. Thank you. And it's been a pleasure to have you guys with us. Thanks for having us. It's been fun. Any final words that you guys want to share before we wrap it up today? You know, um, We've had a lot of people contact us about the adoptions and different things and you know, a lot of heartbreaking stories of things that fell through. Before we brought our children home, we had five failed adoptions. And mm. so, you know, don't don't give up on things that you feel very strongly about. You know, every little bit helps move forward in the things that you're doing. Um, I would have to say we have learned so much and our way of thinking has been changed mm-hmm. by bringing these little souls into our home. Each child has brought something with them, and we're so grateful for that. Thank you once again for sharing your story, for being available, and for doing what you're doing. It's been a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Everybody go out there and live on purpose. Thank you.